So please welcome Cecil and Joe. So we're going to play a, uh, a book trailer that I made, and um, I actually commissioned my friend, um, this Canadian folk singer named Dana Sipos, uh, to um, do uh, a version of Wayfaring Stranger, which is an old folk song. So we're going to listen to that first, and then, uh, and then there will be more. So get ready. <laughs> Soupy leaves home. <laughs> um, so, uh, so Joe and I are going to talk a little bit, and then we're going to um, we're going to actually 
ask a couple of you to um, read with us um, uh, uh, what the hobo um, code is. So, um, Soupy Leaves Home is a Depression era. Uh, graphic novel, and it's about a girl named Soupy who um, who uh, leaves uh, an abusive situation and um, runs away and uh, reinvents herself as a boy named Soupy. Once she meets a um, an old hobo named Ramshackle, and she rides the rails with him. So I wanted to talk a little bit. Uh, do you all have like your hobo uh, code pa- pieces of paper? No. Pass them along, pass them along. So, um, and I've hidden hobo codes all over the store here. Uh, you can see one right there. That's a hobo code, and that means um, uh, this is a good place to catch a train. And uh, there's one over here behind me, and that is here's a good place to camp that has fresh water. Uh, right behind you, the gentleman uh, in the green back there, you can see that hobo sign, which means get out quick. Um, so the hobo signs are, um, are were these signs that the hobos had uh, that um, that they that they made in order to warn and alert the other hobos that were traveling behind them about who you could ask for uh, a meal, what you needed to do for that meal, uh, whether or not the town was open to hobos or not open to hobos, and they were chalk signs. So, um, so here are some of the ones that you can see here. Leave quickly, stay here, gentleman lives here, which meant you could probably knock on that door and get some food. Rich people live here, they probably had some bread. Because you have to understand, a lot of the, the, the major um, hobo uh, hoboness, even though it uh, always was happening, was um, was uh, during the Great Depression. There was sort of a mass uh, amount of um, hoboing, and actually, a lot of children became hobos um, at, uh, during the Great Depression because the oldest child would actually leave home um, in order to not cause uh, a burden on their um, parents, um, so that they didn't have to feed. So you can see, uh, what I am really fond of is the cat because. Um, I feel like <laughs> I feel like there are many ladies that I know that could have a, a cat on their thing. But um, all of these things sort of gave you um, gave you information about um, about what uh, what you could find in a town that you went to, and there were sort of simple signs. And Joe and I were actually talking about it about how some of the signs um, were you know there could be many different signs to mean one thing, like to sit um, you know uh, to sit in a, a to, to ask for a doctor or what bad water sounded like. So I've got some chalk and I've got some uh, pieces of paper. If anybody would like to make their own hobo sign and then tell us what it means afterwards, we're going to pass this pass this along. Um, you know, it could mean anything. Kind lady, good food, or it could just be like, you know, heartbreak hotel, like whatever, whatever you want it to mean. Um, but uh, this is just to give you an idea of what the, like, look, the little, the bird, isn't that funny? That's like from the 1930s, and the little bird meant free telephone available here, and now we have Twitter. It's like, what? <laughs> Feels like everything old is new again. So, um, so that's, uh, yeah, and you can see that's my drawing of the good place to hop a train, and that's the real drawing. I, I did okay. I did okay. Um, okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually, can we have, um, how many people do we have? Three people? Can we have three volunteers to come up and um, 
help us do some reader theater of the Hobo Code, please? Yes, I know you want to do it. Patty? Patty's coming up? Yeah, Patty! Woo! Patty, who else is going to do it? Two more people. Just be brave. All right, yay! Okay, and oh, we need to get copies. So we need to open it up to that page. And then one, we need one more person. One more person. Uh, mm, I'm going to call on someone. Mm, Jen Kretschmer? Yes, please? <laughs> I know you're an actor, so. Okay, so um, we're going to start here. So this is the page that we're going to. Is page uh, 36. Page 36. So uh, we have to assign parts to you. Here you go. We have to assign parts. I'm going to be soupy. You would. Yeah. <laughs> she, she literally says nothing. She says soupy. Um, and I guess I'll do the captions. And you'll be ramshackle. And uh, you are, okay, so you're going to be gums. You're going to be Tomcat Tuna. And she's going to be Professor Jack. That's it, right? You're going to be Professor Jack. Okay. So, uh, so see this guy with the funny hair, like that guy. That's Tomcat Tuna. That's Tomcat Tuna. That's you. Okay. And then, and then that guy with the hat, not to be confused with Ramshackle, is uh, is um, Gums. Okay, and then um, and then Professor Jack is that um, that sort of smoldery poldark looking guy in the back. <laughs> Not that he's hot or anything. He looks uh, iffy. Yeah. Okay. So uh, so I guess I guess we can start with Tom Cat. Oh yeah. Well, and you know what? This is we can just do whatever. So it's like you know we can take it slow. If if I need to point to you, so you're you're starting as Tom Cat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Me? I'm ready for. You. I mean, you can. You can read along over there. I don't know. We've never really done... I've never tried this before, so we're just going to make it happen. Right. It's hard to read graphic novels out loud. That's the problem. Try an audiobook. I did that. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, Bo. Tomcat Tuna. Gums McGee. Ramshackle. Who's that? He's shy. I've got, I've got him under my wing. Show him, show him the ropes. Showing him the ropes. Well... He needs a name. When Tomcat smiled, you were distracted from any darkness. Can't be a man a person can trust if you don't got a name. And when Gum smiled, he showed all of his gums. <laughs> Soupy. I knew you had a name. Soupy, very nice to meet you. We've got a... No, no, no. we got a space over there. Come settle with us. I've been here a week. Oh, wait, I have another one. Yeah. Gums just arrived two days ago. Oh, I have to move. I'm sorry. Oh, there we go. I, I neglected to... That, sorry. Fine. Okay, yeah. It's my uh, fault. Gums just arrived here two days ago, but he's already king of the camp. I've got a lot of lines. <laughs> Gums seems to know everyone and everything. I've been hearing about some picking in the South. I've got a connection. We're headed, we're headed south for a spell. You deciding for the boy or are you letting him decide for himself? Soupy, choose our destination. Soupy, do you speak? I speak. That's a weak little voice. <laughs> Could get you killed if you mule like that. You need to learn how to roar. He's got some good learning to do. <laughs> He's got to learn some of the rules. Well, with that, we can help you out. 
Let's see. Oh, shit, I got a lot of lines. <laughs> Rule number one is decide your own life. Don't let another person run or, run, run or rule you. I liked rule number one. I'm just going to interject here and say that these rules are actual hobo rules from the Code of the Road, the ethical code created by Tourist Union Number 63 at the annual Hobo Convention in the late 1890s. So these are real rules. Hobo Convention? Yeah, there's actually one every single August in Britt, Iowa. Yes. Always be a gentleman and respect the law. I could never be a gentleman. That's because she's a girl. Um, but I could respect the law. Just pretend it's yeah, you. Yeah. Don't take advantage of someone who is in a vulnerable situation. Always try to find work, even if it's temporary, and always seek out jobs nobody wants. When, when no employment is available, make your, own, make your own work by using your added talents at crafts. I guess I'll jump in this one too. Do not allow yourself to become a stupid drunk. I would never. Not ever. I hate drunks. Good for you. There's a difference between a stupid drunk and a drunk. Why don't we give it to you? You say that next line. When jungling in town, respect handouts. Do not wear them out. Another hobo will be coming along who will need them as bad, if not worse than you. Always respect nature. Do not leave garbage where you are jungling. Always pitch it and help. Try to stay clean and boil up wherever possible. Boiling up means take a bath. <laughs> when, when traveling, cause no problems. You ride your you ride your trains respectfully. There is always another hobo who will be who will be coming along after you who will who will need passage or a handout. Eat when you can. Share what you can. When you are down and out, you want so badly for strangers to like you. We ain't got nothing here for you. Go on. Get away from us. Phony. To be put under a spell so you're not alone. Avoid jungle buzzards like that one. That, that, that's where I stopped it. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but it goes on. More and more. But anyway, I, I just wanted to read that passage because I thought it was a good um, passage about uh, um, about the hobo code, which is, I think, something that um, I think is really interesting, um, this sort of amazing code that um, the hobos created. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep a picture up so that we have the beauty of Joe's art. Let's do that page. Um, so uh, do you have anything that you want to say? Uh, I mean, when talking about specifically about the hobo code, uh, yeah, I do think that it's something very. Fa- oh, the microphone, so it sounds more official. Uh, I do. Th- uh, I I just want to piggyback on what you're saying, where it's um, it's very fascinating that in those tough times that the country was going through, there were these, you know, this array of gentlemen or these array of people actually, who found moral and decency as the way of life and mm-hmm. just decided to make this invisible code. And going back to what you were saying about how um, a lot of the hobo signs that they came up with, I mean, I know that you did a lot of research and, uh, and probably more than I did, way more than I did. Um, so 
the little that I found was just like it's, they're just very cryptic signs. But also, that also leads me to think that maybe there's just this way of how it was a combination between written and verbal traditions amongst themselves, and just like this tight sense of community. And I just think that that's that's something so cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think one thing that I really love about hobos is that it's sort of this shadow society, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it's like they were. I mean, they were run out of town a lot. People disrespected them. Like a lot of times when you say to kids like, oh, um, you know, it's a hobo. They, oh, that's a homeless person or that's like a bum or that's like, you know, and that's just not true. Like hobos did not think of themselves as homeless. They weren't homeless. They were, they were, um, intentionally transient mm-hmm. um, and uh, they didn't think of themselves as beggars they weren't begging for food they would knock on your door and they would ask for work they would never they they didn't they didn't assume like like one of the hobo codes is is like always try to pay your way like right. you know it was just that they had a different way of um, living and I think the reason why they had to have this code another code that we didn't put in there that they had was um, and it's sort of a big sort of um, part of the book is one of the hobo codes is if you see a runaway try to get them to go home you know help children and try to get runaways to go home and that was like I mean that's a big part of sort of what's happening in Soupy Leaves Home is this you know this young woman who um, dresses up as a boy now there were a lot of girls that did go on the road and they did dress up as boys they didn't dress up as boys because they wanted to be boys um, necessarily maybe some of them did but um, but they dressed up as boys because they it was safer for them to be on the road and to dress up as boys um, because in the 1930s you know uh, you know being a girl on the road I mean it it was just hard being a girl <laughs> yeah yeah no I, was, I, I completely agree and also um you know, just really hammering it down. I just, you know, one of the things that I just like about those rules so much is also just how they keep saying, "Don't, you know, don't misbehave or don't give hobos a bad rap." Yeah. Because, you know, because if we're all transient, if we're all passing by, then if you give hobos a bad rap, that's going to give the next one coming in who mm-hmm. has nothing to do with you, doesn't know you, has nothing to do with your life, but also you're you could be paving a, a, an ill path for them. Don't do that. Try to keep this lifestyle that we're creating as peaceful and as uh, with a good rep, if you will, as much as possible. And I just feel like that's like good manners. Yeah, you know no, what I mean? Absolutely. Like, yeah. absolutely. So yeah. So let's talk about Mulligan stew for a little bit. Oh gosh, who's who else is hungry? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Let's, Why uh, don't you start? Okay. So um, does anyone know what Mulligan stew is? is uh, has anybody ever heard of this tradition? Like it's a, it's a, we have a couple of yes, we have a few shy hands. <laughs> Uh, well, as you can gather, it's a, it's a stew. But um, uh, do you want me to take it? Yeah, or yeah, it? Okay. you take it. So the cool thing about Mulligan stew is that uh, as you would have, as you would have, if you can see in the book, or you will discover if you haven't read it yet, um, they would start cooking a stew, but they would always have people bring in whatever they can co- to contribute to the stew. So a lot of it was you bring what you can. And it's it's the idea was to make enough stew for everyone in the camp or the jungle, if you will. That's that's the name that That's they what had. they called the camps that's, that's were what jungles. That's they called the camp. So it's, I, 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 I kind of kept wondering, what if they were what, what if they were camping in the desert? We could still <laughs> call it a jungle, but that's yeah. not, neither here or there. Anyways, so... 
once the sun went down and you know when it was dark everyone would just contribute to creating this meal or this feast as what it was for them and everyone would put in whatever they could bring whether it was a couple of onions or some fruit or some vegetables whatever it is they could be carrying and be contributing to and I'm going to let you carry this one if they had nothing to bring into the table yeah if you had nothing to bring in the table you could still share in the stew and the understanding was that the next time you had something it was your obligation to share and once again like I just think that just like with the hobo code the ethical code of hobos um, that like this idea of mulligan stew is just so beautiful that um, that you know you bring what you can to the table and that and that if you if you can't bring something to the table this time, one day you will be able to bring something to the table. And so, you know, next time you'll bring something to the table. And I just feel like it's this really beautiful, I mean, that's the world I want to live in. You know what I mean? Like where it's this like nice human spirit of, um, of, of generosity and care and attention and sort of honor, you know? Um, and, uh, and you know, there was something about, the like the more like when I came up with the idea for the book, um, you know, it was basically I just wanted to run away and I didn't know how and I just thought, oh, hobos just hit the road and that seems kind of cool. But um, but then I started reading about hobos and I started watching documentaries about hobos and I started researching hobos and I watched movies about hobos and I was like, oh, it goes it goes so much deeper than you know just sort of like it's a it's a person with a bindle stiff, you know. And everybody was a hobo. There were children that were hobos. There was no like you know. There were there were every color of hobo that you could possibly have because I mean they were migrant workers I mean they they would go and they would pick in fields and they would you know do whatever they could and um, so it was a real sort of outsider special society even though so they can't kind of came together um, you know outside of society that said they also had their own troubles within their own society because every every group or scene has their own drama. Even the Amish. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, no, yeah, I, 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 I completely. That's no, yeah. What kind of research did you do? Um, I read a lot of books. I watched a lot. No, it's just, um, I looked at a lot of. Uh, I looked at a lot of fashion for starters. Like that's that's like it's. Just, uh, I, I looked at a lot of fashion. I looked at a lot of what the outfits were like and try to get a sense of just... One of the things that always caught my eye is like, why were they always so dusty? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's one of the things that, was, that just really popped into me. It's just like, you know, the clothes were so baggy, so that's, that's why I definitely liked them. But um, r- as far as you know, research in once, uh, involving like, learning more about their lifestyles and like this, just history, just you know, reading a lot of uh, historical articles. And, and looking at trains, right? Le- oh, yeah. It's, uh, le- learning the history of trains, learning like, the history of the railroad. Um, you know, it's, the U.S. had a really interesting history towards the, uh, the, 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 uh, the end of the 20s and throughout the 30s, not just in music. Um, but um, it, was, it was really fascinating just to see how they were pushing on this entire different... Uh, these new ways of thinking that were starting to reach out uh, its own... 
it's almost as if we were seeing the final stages of the the industrial revolution hitting effect mm -hmm. in, in in this really weird social you know, you know ripple effect so so I was reading a lot about that also just reading the difference between because I don't think spoiler alert the uh, it's a journey story so it goes from you know all across the country um, just what what it was like you know between being living in a city versus living in the country mm -hmm. in the 30s and those are things that some it kind of resonates to this day but not the way that it, that it was back then so uh, that's the kind of research that I was doing it's just like a, I, I like history a lot yeah. also I think like one thing um, is that like uh, what sort of transfixed me about that sort of time 1932 is that the idea of what it meant to be a modern person a modern woman a modern man was um was you know was sort of just emerging you know um this is a time in 1932 where if you had bobbed hair that was considered like the most scandalous thing in the world you know and yet they'd they just found Pluto. You know what I mean? Like no. they were like, "Oh my God, Pluto!" You know, and and women only had had the vote for like you know ten years. Yeah, ten or twelve um, years. Yeah, ten or twelve years, and so. Um, so it was like this idea of like what it meant to be a woman, what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be a thinker. Um, all of these kinds of things. It was like it was very. It was sort of. Uh, it was it was just very open because nobody sort of knew what it meant to be in this modern world, and I right. think that was sort of the like what you're talking about, like sort of the um, the sort of the the end of the industrial revolution and the beginning of this sort of new you know new thing. Meanwhile, while people had lost everything, I mean because of the depression, there was there were they had nothing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, mm. should we open it up maybe yeah, for questions? Yeah, so, anybody have any? Questions? I'm sure you all have a lot of questions. Yes, hi. hi. Thanks for being our actor. I got you. Um, <laughs> how did you two find each other? Was it through an editor or? I mean, it's. Uh, I, I know that I, I, I like the long version of the story, but why don't you tell the short no, version? No, why don't you tell the long version? I like uh, it. Are you sure? <laughs> well, I just want to say one thing first, is that um, I would just like to give a big shout-out to the original editor of Soupy Leaves Home, Sierra Hahn, who's here in the audience. Um, she's the one who, um, who bought this book, and um, I, I would just like to say that I came up with the idea for this story in October of 2008, and, um, and it took a really long time for me to sell the book and then it took a really long time for me to find an artist who would finish the book <laughs> or do the book um, and so uh, so so number one is that uh, is that there was another artist before and then as happens with comic books um, you know it that didn't work out and uh, and then um, and then we got a new editor um, Chantal Larocque um, because Sierra had moved on to boom um, studios this book is on Dark Horse and uh, and we needed a new artist and um, and uh, they found um, Joe, you want to tell the story? I mean, um, I, I, I've said this uh, quite a few times, but I can't stretch it enough. Like the uh, the way that we ended up working together was very serendipitously, and it's like you know probably not a shy away from just being a total fluke, uh, which is great and really makes you appreciate the kind of opportunities that uh, that can come around. Because uh, the way that I that, that I know that it happened is, uh, uh, the book had just been passed on to Chantel, to Chantel, the our editor. And um, a 
peer or a colleague of mine who also oh, oh by the who way, I had done a short comic with. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a very small world. Uh, so Dark Horse is located in Portland, by the way, and uh, several cartoonists and comic book artists live in Portland because they like rain. Uh, and uh, so my friend Kel McDonald was having lunch with Chantel LaRoque, and uh, they were just having like a hey let's get together and have some lunch kind of thing and I don't know exactly why the circumstances pushed her pushed until to say like I'm a little concerned because I need to find an artist for this book uh, and Kel asked well what kind of book is it and Chantel described the book and Kel McDonald just said oh I know someone who has drawn books that take place in the late 20s 1930s if you want to check out his stuff uh, and so I'm like, yeah, sure, okay. It's, they, they're friends. They'll take each other's word for it. Uh, and they looked at some of my previous work, so immediately, <laughs> I don't know how, how much right after, but uh, Kel sent me an email saying, hey, by the way, just in case, because uh, I know you, and you'll think that it's someone's playing a joke on you, but no, you're about to get an email from Dark Horse, and it's about a book. Cause at, anyways, um, so I was like, all right, cool. Like, that's, that's what they're saying. And yeah, it's about a, a day or so later. I got an email from uh, from Chantel, who just gave me a paragraph description of what the book was about, and asked if I could do a couple of character sketches just to see if I could sense the feel for it. Uh, and then you and I didn't meet until Comic Con. Until Comic Con. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So, um, so yeah. But it turned out really well. I mean, like one of the most amazing things about doing comics that I'm sure everybody here in the room that does comics knows is that you. When it works really well, you get to collaborate with someone who is amazing, and like Joe is amazing, and it's just like it's like this like flow just happens, and you can like like I would get thumbnails back from Joe, and I'd just be like, oh, well, we can just throw out half all my words. I mean, like I literally just like would just throw out. So I mean, there are a lot of words on that's a lot of words on this page. I mean, there would be pages where I'd just be like, yeah, we don't need anything. Like, we just don't need them anymore. And I think that's, like, the amazing thing when you're doing comics is that um, when you have a really great collaboration with somebody, you can trust that the story is being told without your words. That, like, you know, it's like, I'm cool that there are no words because I still wrote the story, you know, and you can trust it with the, you know, that's the baton that you're passing back and forth. And it's a visual, it's a visual medium. Right, and, I, and as much as I, I appreciate the compliments, but also um, I mean, and, and I'll definitely take uh, I'll, I'll take the compliment where, where, where it fits, but also put that into consideration just, just imagine how well you wrote what you did in order for me to understand what you were trying to get at and translate it into pictures. Like that's, like, and, 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 and that's something that I don't want it to go unsaid and, and to, any, to any level. It's like, it's, yeah, okay, it's, it's great that we got rid of some captions and some dialogues and it's, uh, it's, it's a very quick read and it's, it's just, it just flies. But, um, but you described really well what you were trying to get at and that's another thing that I kind of want to tie in into the story of how we met. It's just like it's, once I understood the feel of the story that you were trying to tell, um, I knew, I just felt very comfortable. So that's kind of why you know, I say that it's, you know, it's very serendipitous because it's, it's the kind of stories that I like to tell and, it's the, and it's, it, it, was, it, it was just such a fitting project for me that, uh, that, that meeting you was just, just you know, was really good. Well, and I, I um, yeah, but that's like the great thing. It's like it goes back to that collaboration thing where it's like it's, it is so symbiotic, right? Like everybody here who writes comics, right? It's like doot, 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 doot. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. 
Um, well, I've got a question and a follow-up. Oh. My first question is um, the character of Ramshackle. Mm -hmm. um, I'm happy enough to have uh, just read this book, and everybody buy it. It's amazing. But um, um, you can kind of see it there in the flames. Like there, he tends to be surrounded by like these whimsical um, oh, yes. sort of swirls mm -hmm. and feathers and things. There's a magic to him. And I wonder, Cecil, how did you script that, or was that something that Joe, you decided to put in there? Like, I'm trying to understand how far the collaboration. I, I mean, I I scripted that. I think. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't I don't think that I scripted, and it looks like whimsical smoke. Right. But I definitely um, scripted that Ramshackle had this sort of magical, you know. And I think I would put. I think I put notes in that would be like, you know, and. And you can, you know, perhaps he is flying here. Perhaps he is doing, I mean, you know. I mean, I always just sort of give sort of suggestions to, to the artists that I'm working with. Um, I do the same with Shade the Changing Girl, which is the comic book that I'm writing now with Marley Zarconi. And um, that is, uh, I mean, you know, sometimes there's madness, which is like, that's her superpower is madness. And it's like, it's like, I'm like, and then things go strange. Whatever you think that might be. And then, you know, things go crazy. And that's just sort of like an indication to the artist, I think, that what I'm doing is giving a baton to just be like, interpret this as you will, you know? I mean, yes. Like, yes to all that. And uh, definitely in the script, it was very well, you know, it was always well described, it was well descriptive as into the kind of magic that this that, that this character is, which is, you know, what really puts this book in the sense of magical realism, is that uh, he had this way of talent, of encouraging and also, you know, drawing in this, these weird things. Uh, how I came up with just, like, these things, of that they look kind of like a little feathery and kind of flimsy, um, I'm about to wave my, my nerd flag right here, is... Um, Architecture in the 1920s and in the 1930s was just so modern, and everything was so much about straight edges and clean line and solid and metal like rigidness that you know it just made sense as the best way to describe something that is beyond what you can see or what is physically there is by things that are swirly or things that are more natural or things that are more nature inclined or things that are just, you know, more, well, it, it even sounds like a curve. When you say whimsy, <laughs> it just sounds like a, it, it just sounds like a spiral. Um, but it was, um, as far as like coming up with the design for it, like it, it, it just seemed to fit of like putting those contrasts against each other. And even when you're looking at, for instance, camp scenes of, you know, the trees are all like just very tall and straight lines, but, you know, just having these kinds of people in your life that are just so that they're so transcendent, and you know, and they just inspire you to just to, to go beyond. They're like, oh yeah, it's gonna be like a, it's, it's gonna be something that is more uh, it's untangible, yeah. I guess. So it's a surrounded by his own starry night. Yeah. Right, yes. Yeah. One thing about the character of Ramshackle is that, so Ramshackle is this old hobo, and um, and the, the idea of him was that he was a man out of time. Like, he was a man who was an inventor who really was born at the wrong, um, the wrong moment in time. Right. Um, and uh, I, I went to the Museum of Jurassic Technology at one point, and uh, there are these letters to the Mount Wilson Observatory that they have uh, up uh, for display. And there's this one letter that's always struck me, and I feel like this explains what Ramshackle is like. It's this one letter, and it's a person, a man, who was like 25 years old, and he wrote a letter to the Mount Wilson Observatory and was like, because they had just discovered Pluto, and you know they were looking at Mars, like Mount Wilson, really, like they looked at Mars very closely for the first time. 
And he wrote a letter and he was like, I feel that one day we will be exploring these planets. I am ready to go to space and to become an explorer of these planets. But it's like 1929. You know what I mean? Like, there is no astronaut program. You know, that guy was completely born at the wrong time. And you could see in this letter this sort of passion about his feeling that one day there is going to be a need for gentlemen or ladies to go to space and I am ready to sign up and totally born at the wrong time. And it broke my heart when I saw this letter and I feel like that's sort of the idea of what Ramshackle is. Mm -hmm. Ramshackle is a man who's an inventor, who's a hobo, who's a dreamer, who sees the possibilities of the future and Mm -hmm. where the world could go, but he's just in the wrong time. Like, he's just not... He's just not born in the right time. And I think that sometimes that happens. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to say is that uh, the way that I wrote the script was um, I did this script as an open script rather than a a full script, which a full script means that you do like sort of page one and then you say like panel one, panel two, panel three, panel four. Usually when I do a full script, I do that, but I always write to the artist or whatever you want. Like, you know, (laughs) like, you know, here a five, five panel page, but seriously just do whatever you want but with an open script I do page one and then I um, break it down what I think is the emotional content of that page and then I let the artist break it down for pacing in the way that they want and so that's a lot of the reason why I also threw out a lot of words because sometimes like when I was writing the script what I was doing was I was trying to convey to Joe um, what the emotional temperature of was of the book and so then he could sort of pick and choose what was important or not. Yeah. Yeah. But my follow-up question. Yes. Oh. Sorry. No, no, yeah. <laughs> what does hobo mean? Oh, there is no actual... Nobody really knows what hobo actually means. Um, there are some theories. One of the theories, and I think it's the theory that I sort of ascribe to, is um, that it means hey bo, um, which is like just like a hello, right? Um, uh, like boy, like hey boy, um, but shortened to hey bo, and then it was shortened to hobo. Um, And I think that's what I think it means, but nobody actually knows what hobo actually means. Some people say it means homeward bound. Um, You know, there are many, many different there. You can Google it. Nobody actually knows what it means. I mean, nobody knows where it uh, originated. Yeah. Yeah. It's not from the Latin. No. 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 Maybe French, but no. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I came up with the idea. So the original artist um, uh, had posted on Facebook in October of 2008. If I were a hobo, my hobo name would be Ramshackle. And I answered, I commented, and I said, if I were a hobo, my hobo name would be Soupy. And then I was like, wow, I wonder what Soupy is. And so that, it, it was character first. It was like, I just thought, I thought, well, who is Soupy? Why would I be a hobo named Soupy? What does that mean? And I was going through a really dark time, like I was saying at the beginning, and I, I really wanted to run away, but I didn't want to actually leave my life and or kill myself. And so I didn't know how to sort of leave without leaving And that's when I just, when this guy put the hobo thing on Facebook, I was like, oh, maybe I could just become a hobo, you know? And then I just started thinking about what would, what would, who would Soupy be? And why would she, why would she leave home? And, um, so I, I kind of followed her. 
That is a great question. <laughs> any any other last questions? Question for Joe. Yeah. yeah. I have loved your use of color in this. Oh, thank you. Oh. I like that. Good question. You no, know, it's mostly two tone, mm-hmm. but I like that where you have the hard shadows and up in the the loose flamey bits. It was very different. Was that a technique or is that a? Yeah. Um, like an instinct thing that you were just. I mean, that's, I had to develop a little something about me all throughout youth and most of my professional work I have been afraid of coloring like gives me anxiety kind of like oh I I can't color things Um, but um, a few years back well the book that I did before before I did soupy was this book called the leg which was written with my collaboration with Van Jensen common friends of ours Uh, but uh, so I did this book with uh, with Van Jensen and so far we had just planned to do to do a black and white book but Van felt that it would be better if we had a colorist so he seeked out a colorist and when we landed on this colorist his name is Matthew Petz. Uh, he started sending us pages, and I was just so blown away by what he had done with my work. Like he, like, and I just felt like that's exactly how I want my work to look from now on. That's exactly how I want the colors to look. Uh, that's awesome. And then once I landed on uh, working on with Soupy, I think our editor had assumed that I had done the coloring for the leg. <laughs> So that put me in a very odd position of like, well, now what? Uh, put your money where your mouth is. That's what that means. So it just kind of put me on this, you know, on this situation where like it's fight or flight kind of thing of just like, okay, we'll tackle that and just look at what Matthew did and see how you can do it yourself and uh, and take it from there. And I didn't use Matthew's technique. Uh, Derivative, I mean, specifically, but I kind of took a lot from what he was using, and I asked him some questions of like how he went about color, and then I came up, and so I started coming up with his themes. Yeah, and, and I want to show you that like it really does like sort of change yeah. colors throughout the book, and I also want to say that Joe's inks were. They didn't even need color. I mean, it was so gorgeous that, I mean, just like the dark, the blacks, I mean, were just amazing. But you can see that there's like a real intention to the way that the colors are done. And if you look through it, there are certain moments that are specifically colored for specific reasons. Right. I mean, like that—that's something that I started coming up with. Like once it was a—it was the moment of sink or swim. Of like, it's—I have finished penciling, I have finished inking it. Now I was. That's now you have to color it. So I just had I think it was about three months to to color the the whole book, and I just I had to jump in there. So I started coloring. It started off a little bit of just pick a color, and then start deviating from there and start picking up like what are your what are your strengths, um, and then as the book went along, I started uncovering what I wanted the other uh, colors to mean, and then I started adding uh, meaning to those colors themselves. So throughout the book like certain colors mean different things to different characters and whatnot uh and it was a learning process and uh you know now after that like now that's definitely how i want to color books so uh yeah so yeah it was it was it turned out it was really special yeah, i think right. there was like one color that i didn't like it was like weird orange that, yes. yeah there was like a weird orange that like he 
did, and I was like, I was like, oh no, it's, no, not that orange, you know. And that okay. was it. That was the only. That was the only. Right, except for that color had been in like about nine or ten pages. <laughs> so I, it was. I a, apologize. It was. It was a I'm wonderful so Tuesday to be like. Well, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. It was. A, it's. Oh no. It's. It's. It's the worst. Again, learning curve. Yeah. L- learning curve. But. Uh, yeah. uh, so maybe one more. One more question. One or two more questions, and then we'll. And then we'll uh, set up for. Uh, uh, or no. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Cherie. <laughs> Joe, do you um, do you draw digitally, or is this? Oh, he's got pages to show. Um, Original art is it available for sale? It is available for sale. Uh, so that's a two-parter question. Um, because I'm also a commercial artist, and I also do other freelance work, um, I have to work digitally just because that's that's where the industry of commercial art is going. Like it's uh, it's not my preference, but <laughs> I gotta survive. However, uh, for comics specifically, I do want to keep on doing traditional work just because. Uh, it adds. It definitely adds, and uh, I'll I'll indulge in this for a second if you don't mind. Like it's um, there's, I'm sure that every artist will have their own different you know their, their own different ways of, of working. But for me, it's just so important to draw directly on a physical page, and it just adds an extra value of having to prepare the page, having to draw the template, having to do the kind of the, the, that erasing. And um, I use these terrible, terrible colored leads with my mechanical pencil that require huge upper arm strength. Don't ask me how I do it, uh, just to erase. But it adds so much. Of uh, it, it adds so much feel, uh, and that's something that I do think that kind of also you know comes in the, the book. If I it's, 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 that it's like it's you know to, to put that kind of work into it. So yeah, so I do. Uh, it's uh, comics themselves. The comics that I do are traditionally made. And it's like they're drawn on pencil and then inked and then scanned and then I do color digitally because um, you know how I said earlier that I was afraid of coloring. Like it's a, I, I'm okay with coloring digitally for now. And you have some pages with <laughs> and, you. And yes, yeah. So if you want to see some of the original yeah, pages, so. Joe has them here tonight so you can see some of the original pages. So yeah. So any, I, any last question? So we'll, we'll take Before one more we, if you want. Yeah. To, one uh, more. Come on. One more. Yeah. What are you guys working on next? Oh, oh. thanks, Amber. Uh, I have a well I'm doing Shade the Changing Girl which is an ongoing comic at DC Comics and I'm super proud of it Um, it's my first ongoing comic book and it's like until they cancel it so like I just have to keep coming up with story which is an amazing amazing challenge as an author Um, I love it and also I fear it Um, but uh, and then I have a new novel that comes out it's going to be in Scholastic Book Clubs in um, the fall but it comes out officially um, in January of 2018 and it's called Don't Cosplay With My Heart and it's a YA novel YA romance um, at comic book conventions Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that book we're also working on Soupy Volume Two. No, I'm kidding. No, <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, no. no. Um, other than uh, other than commercial work, I'm currently working on two books. Uh, one with well, I'm going to drop her name again, Cal uh, McDonald. Uh, we're we're starting to work on a new book, um, and it's really cool. That's that's all I can say for now. Uh, but also, uh, I'm also starting to work on a book that um, that it's 
written by myself so it's uh, so I'm starting to tackle that beast so uh, I was already nervous about coloring so writing is I don't know how you do it <laughs> I don't want to know how you do it but it's uh, but a lot kudos of tears to, like it's, so uh, yeah, many tears it's, uh, so, yeah it's <laughs> sometimes I just take showers just yeah. so I can forget about mm-hmm. it <laughs> actually but, that's um, my yeah. cure for writer's block wash your hair yeah so it's a uh, but now like, uh, currently I'm working on a graphic novel um, that takes place in my hometown that it's about music so that's, uh, and then we have other secret projects yeah, that we can't talk it's, about. It's, uh, you know. yeah, so it's, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> secret yeah, so. projects. Um, thank you so much yeah, for coming so out. Thank you. So um, I think what's going to happen is that we're going to put a table up here and then um, and then and then you can buy our book and line up over here and we'll we'll uh, sign it and uh, and he'll show you original art. Um, oh wait, what about the hobo signs? Did anybody do any hobo signs? Or is it only you? Oh, what? Yay! Yes. Okay, what does your hobo sign mean? This is my hobo sign. Wait, show it to everyone. It's chocolate chip cookies available. Yay! Yes. What is your hobo sign, Margaret? This is my hobo sign. It means nerds live here. Yay! What's your hobo sign? You can probably guess this one. It has to do with a book author. What is it? Books, good books here? What is it? I, I can't see. Two boys and a girl? Okay, so what is that? Two boys and two boys and I don't know. Oh, why? Oh, David Levin, yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> Who else? What did your what's yours? As someone who's scared of looking pictures, which means I love it. Will you guys will you will you oh is there one more? What's yours? Yeah. Will you? Well, everybody who did a hobo sign, bring them up so that I can take a picture yes, of them. Yes, please. We, oh, what's yours? Kira. Oh, Kira's. It's scary. Is that mean something scary's here? Oh my God, I love it. That does look like Thank a weird monster. So I'd be afraid much. of that too. And if you want to draw more hobo signs, there's chalk and uh, hobo uh, placards. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thank you again. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.